You're listening to Frankly Speaking, Rich Conversations Around Politics. My name is Franklin Ramirez, Elgin Township Supervisor. And I'm Rich Jacobs, Chief of Staff for an Illinois State Senator. All right, welcome back. So our guest today is Jamie Mosser. Uh, Jamie, so I first want to acknowledge that you are running for King County State's Attorney. And as I told you before this, we'll be calling balls on strikes. And so make sure that this is not a campaign podcast and this is an, still an educational piece for everyone. But I want you to, one, introduce yourself, two, explain a little bit more about what a state's attorney is, because I believe a state's attorney in Illinois is pretty much the same thing all over the place. doesn't matter if you're in California or if you're in Maine or if you're in Florida, correct? Correct. Okay. And then we can broach into some of these cool topics that you want to talk about today. Excellent. Awesome. The mic is yours. Well, thank you. So my name is Jamie Mosser, as Franklin said. I am an attorney here in King County. I actually began my legal career out in Louisiana. My husband and I moved out there in 2002 after I graduated from law school at DePaul. I was a prosecutor out there for two years. I started in our juvenile division. I went up for a little while into our adult division, and then I came back to actually lead a grant initiative that we had to take away or to find out where kids were getting guns from. So then we moved back here in 2005, just before Hurricane Katrina, because we uh, are from Illinois and we always wanted to get back to our family. I applied for and received my second job as a prosecutor at the Kane County State's Attorney's Office, where I was for 10 years. Nice. 10 years, gosh, I, I don't think, I think I've been, the longest I've been in a job is uh, more like 10 seconds, but that's because, you know, you got to do what you love. So. Indeed, and that is what I love. Excellent. So explain a little bit more for those that are listening, what a state's attorney, what do they do? So the state's attorney is very similar to a district attorney, and you hear that most of the time in like Law and Order SVU or any of the other shows that we all watch, including myself, embarrassingly enough. I love it. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, there's really two main functions. So one is obviously prosecuting criminal offenses, and the other one is civil enforcement for certain issues. So the easiest one, and the people know this, is that if you break a law, or you get arrested for something, then you're gonna come before the state's attorney's office. The other portion of that that they do is they represent county officials whenever county officials are sued. There's a child support division. Um, They do a lot of enforcements of Open Meetings Act, other types of rules and laws that we have in Illinois. They enforce those in King County. So there's a pretty well-qualified civil division that we have in the state's attorney's office along with criminal. On top of all of that, They also have these quasi-criminals, so a juvenile division. The juvenile division is where kids commit crimes, but the whole point is not to put them in jail or prison. It's about rehabilitation. Now, obviously, jail or prison could happen for kids, but the idea is to try to get them out of the system. And tangentially to that, we also have an abuse and neglect division. So for kids who are brought into the system through DCFS claims or through uh, police arrests, They're the ones who actually go in to try to either work in the system where a parent gets reunified with the kid or the child gets taken away. Wow, that's a a lot to process at the moment. I mean, like you said, Law & Order SVU doesn't show all that. No, it really doesn't. And their cases get done in one day, and everyone is impeccably dressed, so... Yeah, all within an hour, too, so... Yes. Good good for Law & Order SVU. How many states' attorneys are... Uh, 
in King County? About 60. And so obviously that goes, you know, back and forth depending on when people leave and also different opportunities that they may have where you can bring in new attorneys. Excellent. So we want to sit there and I want to just poke around so other people can uh, kind of visualize this. So each municipal or each level of government has their own law firm, if you will. You know, uh, maybe that's not the wrong, right thing. Each county does. Yeah, but I'm saying like the where we live, the city of Elgin has a law department or they hire out a law department Correct. You know, to sit there and review and to put together maybe ordinances. The county has the state's attorney's office that does dual functions. You know, they prosecute as well as be the law firm, if you will, yes. for the county. And then, you know, the Illinois... Correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, has the Attorney General's office to sit through a review and to go over things and to does the Attorney General's office um if someone if the governor's being sued, does the Attorney General's office? No, I think that's usually the US Attorney's office. Oh, that that defends them? The county official or the state of government official. Yeah, so like uh the the Illinois Attorney General's office would defend a governor if he was being sued. It could be. I don't actually I don't know answer That's that question. I could right. Google that. I know the 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 previous um, uh, states attorney or attorney generals for the state of Illinois have given legal opinion to the for the legislature and the governor on uh, possible uh, legislation or change of legislation. They do give an opinion on that. Um, I'm not sure. I, I would assume that they would have uh, uh, a hand in um, the legal um, advice given to the governor. Well, Kwame Raoul, Illinois Attorney General, or any other Attorney General out there listening, you're welcome to either call, be on the podcast, or, you know, I mean, heck, I'd come out and fly out to see you, but that's always debatable. So definitely future podcasts. But so... I know this isn't going to be, this isn't a campaign podcast, but what are some interesting takes on state's attorney's offices that can happen, should happen, um, that you can tell us about? So to get into that, I want to talk a little bit about what I did when I was at King County, because I think that gives you an idea of where I'm coming from in terms of my thought process. Sure. So I was in New Orleans for two years, and that was a trial by fire, to say the least. We had just um, left with Harry Connick Sr., the father of the crooner, Harry Connick Jr., as being the 30-year uh, district attorney there. And then it was turned over to a person by the name of Eddie Jordan, who I think was U.S. attorney out there and then eventually came to be the New Orleans district attorney. And the cases that you saw, the there was a lot of abuse of power that happened, and there was a lot of cleanup that was happening, and it was a, a strange world to come from and then to come over here to King County. So I, I went from there with all of that and that history that you had to King County, which still has its own history. And I started off in their domestic violence division, which was not a division that New Orleans had in any way. So they didn't even really recognize that there were crimes of violence between family members. So I worked there, then I went to DUI, then I went to drug rehabilitative court, I went to um, general felonies, I went to special prosecution unit, till eventually I was brought back to head the domestic violence unit. So I kind of went all throughout that office. 
one of the ones that really sat well with me that I was surprised did was our drug rehabilitative court. And for those of you who don't know that, this is by statute. These are for the people who are kind of at the end of the road in terms of drug usage. They've already had a lot of cases against them. It looks like, you know, if they don't get help, something bad is going to happen. They can go into this program, which is a 30-month-long intensive program where they go into inpatient treatment. They go into outpatient treatment. You have probation officers that follow them. They come to court once a week for at least a year until then it gets less. Oops, sorry, gesturing. I told you I would do that. Um, and it's, it's a great program. And I thought as a litigator, somebody who wanted to go to court and who wanted to do trials all the time, that I would hate being in that courtroom because that's not what it was about. I loved it. I've gone back since that time as a private attorney to talk to them about expungements and to help out whenever I can. I've gone to the graduations. It's a fantastic program that just needs to be expanded on in the state's attorney's office. So our last guest was talking, he's an election law attorney, and the question that I think either Rich or I posed to him were, you specialize in certain degrees of law. I mean, you can't... once you pass the bar, you could pretty much do whatever you want. But you'll eventually settle on something like real estate law, you know, employment law, uh, domestic violence cases, whatever you want to do. Is that, it kind of sounds like it's similar in terms of the other side, on the prosecutor's part, where you could sit there and say, hey, I'd love to be in, you know, do trial. I'd love to do this. I'd love to do that. I mean, is that a true statement? It is, except to an extent. To to an extent. (laughs) Like when I was in the domestic violence division, it was easy for me to just focus on that area of the law. Uh The few statutes that fell under that, the case law that fell. Same thing with DUI, when you have to do rescission hearings or something like that. When you go into general felonies, you have to know retail thefts. You have to know burglaries. You have to know intricacies of of sentencing. So it, it is true that you kind of hone in on it, but there's so much that could be within the division that you're in that you have to always be aware of. Wow, it's like the same thing for judges, correct? Sure, yes. And then they give you, you know, I, I can't speak on behalf directly of what uh, the judges go through, but they, they uh, certain judges move to various courtrooms throughout their career, working in various areas, whether or not that was their area of expertise as a private attorney before they became a judge. And I think that's pretty fascinating, too, because, like I said earlier, you could be a real estate attorney, you know, and then become a judge, and now you are, I mean, you're expected to understand or know. I mean, everybody understands the law, you know, but you really have to hone in on what courtroom you're sitting in. And there's, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie, but there's lots of training that's provided. There's lots of resources. If... For a judge, and I'm assuming it's the same thing for a state's attorney, if you all of a sudden go to a different call and that's not what you've been, um, the area you've been practicing for a long time, there are resources, there are are things um, uh, um, that you can learn to gauge to, to better be that particular catch up to speed right yeah i I would like to say yes but (laughs) the reality of is it with the lack of resources and the lack of ability to be to leave your courtroom for even a day to go get training it doesn't happen often so most of the time it's learning in the courtroom and it's learning with the people who were there before or just frankly you are hoping that you're doing it all right and so without this being a political podcast that's one of the things that i want to bring back which is 
grant money to put people through training so that they know what they're doing. Judges have it far worse, but they are expected to go to these judicial trainings so that when they get taken for foreclosure court and put in chancery court, and they're like, what is chancery? You know, they, they yeah, have, like, what is chancery? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have that ability to, to have the knowledge. And I don't think that's afforded to most of the state's attorneys because of the lack of funding. Now, are there grants out there? Or things like this? Yes. Now, do, does it come from the state or does it come from federal government? It could come from both. It's it's just a matter of having a grant writer who has the knowledge to research it to find out all the different possibilities. Huh, and so one of the things that you can do is you can absolutely bring in a grant to allow somebody to learn a certain topic like PCPs, not the drug, post-conviction uh. petitions. <laughs> Those things are awful because there are these level of stages and things that you have to do. And if you've never done one before and you think you blew stage two and you're freaking out, you can train somebody specifically in your office by giving them a stipend, for example, from a grant, and then they can teach other people and you make your office more effective overall. You know, I sit there and I think one of the reasons why Rich and, do, Rich and I do this is to educate people. You know, I mean, you never, there's never enough time to be educated on everything. But if you have the passion and if you have the will-how and, you know, resources to do it you know you should i think if the day you stop learning is the day that everything stops so absolutely yeah and even in the corporate world i mean like you said it's hard for maybe an attorney to get out of the courtroom or at least a prosecutor to come to the a training to learn something new but I mean, you have to do it for yourself i mean and you know like i said um whether it's through a grant or something else that it needs to be it needs to be done for the benefit of everybody not just that person yes and you just make a better prosecution you make a better I mean, you make it safer for your community if you have somebody to do that so let me ask you um cle's mm -hmm. continuing legal education does that cover some of what you're talking about or is that more i mean and a cle cle as i understand it and i'm probably wrong every attorney needs to do this even state's attorneys yes. and public defender anyone who's an attorney who practices law has to go through a, a, a CLE yes 30 class. years every two 30 hours every two years is what is required and out of that you have to have like an ethics and professionalism portion of it so yes it could but it just depends on what's offered sure our Kane County Bar Association is fantastic in that if you have a membership there and they give discounts for state employees like the state's attorney's office so that it's actually affordable, they provide free CLE. But the CLEs themselves... That's pretty affordable. That is affordable. <laughs> <laughs> the CLEs themselves aren't necessarily as intense as you would want for certain topics because really the only people who need to know about it are those people who are in the courtroom. So you can't really make a CLE for a small amount of people sure. and expect anyone else to go. Sure. So it helps, but they have so many online that even I go through with my 30 over two years, and I'm just going through ones that have nothing to do with criminal law because it's available, it's free, I listen to it, I learn something, but it, it's not necessarily helpful in terms of everything that I have to do. Sure. Huh, interesting. All right, so what else do we have here? I know that we were talking a little bit about what's happening in Seattle. Can yes. you tell us what's, uh, what's happening over there? So I read an article, it got forwarded to me by another attorney, and in Seattle they actually have this program that they're starting where they've decriminalized lower-level 
drug offenses in, in terms of amount, I should say, lower amount of drugs. And that includes things like heroin and cocaine, things that nobody really wants to decriminalize. As you all know here, marijuana, as of the first of the year, if you have under 30 grams, is going to be decriminalized, which means you can possess it. That's what you expect somebody who uses it to have on them. In Seattle, they're looking at anybody who has like under um, a gram of cocaine or heroin, and instead of arresting that person, they're referring them through a diversion program through the police department, but with the assistance of the state's attorney's office out there, with the idea of getting them in treatment and not putting them through the court system. So there's one word that you said, decriminalize, that raises a lot of red flags for people. But it's just you were talking. Now, if I'm out in Seattle and I have less than one gram of something on me, am I still going to be arrested and then put through the, the ringer, if you will? And then when I get to the state's attorney's portion of my journey, uh, I'm not going to go to jail per se. I'm going to be diverted into this program. Um, so it reduces the, the jail population, but it's still criminal to possess us, correct? Yes. And so the purpose of it is not even to get to the state's attorney's portion of it. Uh -huh. It is to prevent them from having to go through court, which comes with court costs, yeah. which come with court appearances, which also comes with I've pled guilty or I'm on some sort of program in a court system. And as we all know, anybody who says that in terms of a job, it makes it that much more difficult. Yeah. The idea is that... The police department puts them in what they call a lead program, which is a law enforcement assisted diversion. And then with the help of community organizations, they go into treatment. So they first get evaluated by that treatment program within a certain time period. And if they agree to do that, then they're put into that treatment program. If they don't do what they're supposed to do in terms of the initial evaluation within, let's say, a 30- or 60-day time period, then the charges are filed by the state's attorney's office. Uh. So it's kind of a contract that they're put on, but it's through the police department. So you're going to see um, an arrest potentially on the record, depending on how they book a person or how they put it in their actual system. But you're not going to see a court case associated with them, which means it's not a public record, which means employers, schools, other individuals don't see this. Yeah. But the police department has to work hand in hand with the state's attorney's office because you have to be able to monitor that contract. If they don't do what they're supposed to do, if they leave treatment, if they violate the contract in some way, you have to be able to say to the state's attorney's office, okay, now's the time to file these charges. And is this a pilot program or is this, or, or is it a full-fledged program? It's a full-fledged program out there. And how long, remind me, how long have they been doing this? So I don't think it's been long from what I've read about it, but it's making a lot of waves because they're, they've been able to actually look at statistics and their overdose rates are going down. Obviously, their criminal arrests and prosecutions are going down because they're going through this program. Yeah, I still think, I mean, I read the article as well that you sent me. And they said something about $325 a month is what it costs to be in this program, if you will, this this lead diversion, which is not a, I mean, $325 is a lot of money. You know, it's nothing to, to sneeze at. Right. But I think as the program often, or as, it, as the article said, it's less money than going to court and going to jail. Mm -hmm. So it, does that 325 is that 
by me? Like if I get arrested, am I paying that? Or is that kind of the entire thing, uh, the state's attorney's part? Uh, it would just be part? for the for the offender. Okay. And so, but it does show every day you have to miss work to come to court, you're losing money. Yeah. Court costs are ridiculous if anybody has ever seen it. And they break it all down. It's all in a statute, like $5 for this, $10 for this, 25 And then it adds up and you're like, where did that come from? Uh-huh. And that's court costs. You still have fines that are levied depending on whatever the crime is. Then there's attorneys. So if you can afford a private attorney, that's thousands of dollars. Even if you can't afford a private attorney and you get a public defender, the statute actually says at the end of your case, you have to, the case has to be looked at and you have to, can be assessed an amount to pay to the county for the use of your public defender. So it's not even a free attorney there. So when you look at it, $325 to be in this program is insignificant in comparison to what could happen if you're in the court system. Yeah, I mean, gosh, if it was under a year, you know, that... Um that's about right. I mean, I'm not too sure. I would have to do some more digging when, in terms of what's happening in Seattle, but it looks like it's a win-win for the jails, the police, the state's attorney's office, and the offender. Yes. So um, for those who haven't read the article, and we'll post a link, uh, a link to, to the article, um, so how much of the infrastructure of the police and the state's attorney's office or the equivalent out there had to change to accommodate this? I mean, is, was it like a massive structural change or was it something that they were able to like ease into this? I think the latter was definitely easing into. I think there was more work on the head front to try to get community involvement. So those treatment facilities that we have to sign on to be willing to give beds for the individuals who need it, and to possibly do it at a discounted rate, depending on whether or not they have insurance, if they're on Medicare, or if they're even able to pay for anything. So I think that was the hardest part, is to get that much, those many people involved in this process so that it could happen. From a police perspective, I mean, just kind of throwing it out to our our current sheriff in King County, um, Ron Hain, he's trying to do something very similar in the jail in that while people are in there, he's bringing in drug treatment providers so that instead of sitting around and not dealing with the issue, he's helping them utilize their time to the best of their ability. You know what somebody said to me yesterday, he goes, this whole thing that's going on between Popeye's and Chick-fil-A, <laughs> <laughs> um, that there's a captive audience mm-hmm. waiting in line for this Popeye's chicken sandwich. Right. And that one young gentleman went out there and started registering people to vote. Oh. And I thought, gosh, that's a great idea. So as to what you're saying with Ron Hain, he has a captive audience. He does. They're not going anywhere you know, for the time being. And while they're in his custody, he can actually help them right. if they want help. I mean... You're not going to force feed anything to these these inmates if they don't want it. They're not going to take it, and that's that. They'll serve their time with him and his uh, in his system and call it good. But a smart person would sit there and say, "Gosh, you know what? If I'm here, I'm going to sit there and use this, and why not?" So, you know, yeah, I applaud him with you. So it is. It's really, I think, making a difference because it's utilizing resources to help people and also giving them an encouragement. You know, they're caged like animals, but they're not animals. Yeah. So 
as much as I am anti-crime and I want to be the prosecutor, I still understand that people need to be treated with respect. And that's exactly what he's teaching us. Ron Hain is in terms of all of this. So let me, let me, let me try to understand. So what, and I, I like everyone applaud uh, King, King County <laughs> Sheriff uh, Ron Hain for this. This is truly a, an amazing um, program. So are these the folks that couldn't get into the drug treatment diversion program or they've fallen off or? It could be a whole variety of things. It could just people who are pretrial and they're awaiting whatever is happening. So they could still get in, um, in theory, into this diversion, the King County Court drug court program. But while they're waiting for the process to get to that point, they could very well start getting some kind of treatment. Correct. That's awesome. And my guess is that some of the people who are in there are just not eligible for drug rehabilitative court because they really want those people to be at the end of their rope. Because if you come in with your first offense and you're not taking this seriously because maybe you're not ready to deal with the addiction issue, then drug rehabilitative court, you may fail quickly, and then it's a one time and that's it. You Mm. can never go in there again. So what Sheriff Hain is doing is giving them the opportunity to start that process, whether they're eligible to go in there or not, but giving them the opportunity to heal while they're in there. All right, when we talk about juvenile justice or juvenile system versus the adult system, I mean, we, what's the word, not rehabilitate, but we want to uh, teach the kids, hey, this is wrong, don't do this again. And then when the adults get in there, normally we just shut the door, lock away, you know, throw away the key. You know, but I think what he's doing is trying to morph it into kind of that juvenile thinking of, hey, let's help you while you're in here so we don't have to see you again Correct. when you're out. And I think that's kind of what the Seattle program is doing and what Ron is doing is that they're really trying to get to the root of the criminal behavior. Because if we can get there and stop the crime, great. I would love to be out of a job. That sounds amazing. (laughs) I'll go right back into real estate law. There you go. (laughs) So I, I think that that's exactly it. If you go in there and you help them get their CDL license so that they have a job, so that when they come out of jail, they can drive a truck. And they can earn money instead of going and stealing or selling drugs to make money or doing anything like that. Then you're doing more effective as a law enforcement officer or as a prosecutor than anyone is. Yeah, and you know what? It it feels good to do the right thing. You know, when you sit there and when you sit there and think about it, you know, to pay your taxes, to vote, to you know, get your driver's license renewed. You know, and someone's not um, harassing you to do it because. It's just the right thing to do, and no one's going to bother you for it. Right. Okay? So when you are taught to get your CDL, and now you're making a, a living wage, uh, and you don't have to do any of the illegal activities, it feels good to be in that situation. So I find that uh, hugely uh, amazing as well. Agreed. And the stories in that article of what the reason behind why this program was done or some of the people who graduated from this program is amazing because you sit there and you think to yourself they're using they're using for a reason sometimes people self-medicate because they um, have a mental health issue some people self-medicate because something horrible happened to them and they have ptsd and they need to deal with that Mm -hmm. some people got on drugs when they were younger maybe it was a taught a learned behavior there's so many reasons why i don't think that a single person goes into using drugs and is like i am so excited to be addicted for the rest of my life (laughs) and never be able to you know do anything else so we have to treat that as an illness and not as criminal behavior and that's what it is 
but also still taking into perspective that you have to do the right thing and still protect the citizens because you don't want to just say, okay, well, I'm not going to arrest you, so please go get treatment. This program monitors them, but does it without the negative consequences that we see down the road. And it gives them that carrot at the end that this all gets dismissed against you. You can go forward without hopefully this addiction and without a criminal record and be somebody, be the person you imagined you were not, you wanted to be, not the addict. So Rich, Rich said it earlier that does this, um, it just doesn't happen tomorrow. It has to be transitioned slowly. And you had mentioned that it's a lot of community buy-in to it. Yes. And you're thinking, gosh, it's got to be a lot of community buy-in because there's organizations out there. There's not organizations, but there's jobs out there whose employers will sit there and say, if you have a record, I'm not, I don't want you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're damaged goods. You know, but like you said, something happened in the past, you know, and you can be changed individual, or at least you should sit there and hope that they can be a changed person. Um, so if we can get some buy-in from employers that says, hey, the, this individual is a good individual. They have a CDL and you know, they went through this program because if they have to sit there and explain that or not, they should be sit there and okay, but yeah, I see that it, it might take some time. I know for some communities to sit there and say, "Hey, I want this person on my payroll." Right, um, but it's also going to take our elected officials stepping up and doing it because completely. you need that. So you need the top prosecutor to go out there and say, "Look, I understand that this is a crime, but I also understand that we need to do something to stop it if we can." Knowing the jail is always there, the prison is always there. So if somebody doesn't want to take the advantage of this, then that's the opportunity. And I think people would uh, agree that they don't want to build more jails to sit there and populate these people. I mean, when we already look about, um, I don't know what one gram of something is, you know, versus cocaine versus marijuana or, or whatever. Um, and truth be told, I don't think I ever want to. Right. You know? um, but the whole point is that, we can stop it. it's just a little bit okay it's still illegal in in this article and what we're talking about you know it's still illegal uh, but there's way to just treat it now if you have more than a gram this isn't available to you you're going you know and this is not for uh the dealers correct you know they're if you're a dealer if you're a known dealer i imagine this is not oh you have one less than one gram on you sorry right. <laughs> you know? uh, so it does protect the public in multiple facets it does and so it's, it's a program that I think here in King County we need to look into because I think we have so many great organizations and we do have a great community who wants to do right. Yeah. So let's figure out something different than what we're doing because what we're doing obviously isn't as effective as what we could do. And like, like you both were saying, I think, um, you know, once the Seattle program and say this uh, a mirror program happens here in King County or even the program that the sheriff is doing for for some of the naysayers who just want they they committed a crime I don't care put them away and then they don't think anything more about it they don't add when their property taxes go up because the county has to raise the funds to build another uh, or hire more, you know, police, uh, sheriffs or, you know, those that work in the court they, I don't, I don't think they, it, it's so disjointed. I don't think they can add it up all together. They just want to know. And it's so easy and quick for those, uh, official state officials, elected officials to go, I'm going to be hard on crime. Mm-hmm. 
So I will make sure you break the law, you're going to jail without any of this nuance. So hopefully there will be more, because um, I think data really drives and protects, um, positive data drives and protects the, those that make these decisions and then are held publicly accountable for it. Absolutely. And so, uh, and then, you know, with that, you know, it's getting the word out to the taxpayer, like, you know, ultimately, you're going to spend something, why don't we spend the money turning someone's life around, so they can be a productive, um, you know, person in our community that could hopefully give back in, right. in, in the future, as opposed to someone who went to jail, can't get a job or a job that they could be qualified for. And it just does seem like for some folks, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. And that we have data on. Mm -hmm. I mean, that has been going on for decades. Right. And there's all kinds of health studies that show that if you deal with the addiction issue where they don't have to keep coming back, so overdosing and going to the hospital, the ambulance, the hospital, going into the treatment, leaving the treatment, that cycle going over and over again, if you effectively deal with it, you're saving thousands, millions of dollars just based on the health care alone by effectively treating the addiction instead of just criminalizing their behavior. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a, I was at an event the other day where two Illinois legislators were asked a question and they were so, they were told, or they said to the crowd, well, there's no data on this. You know, and I get it. Illinois sometimes is the first, you know, first at bat, you know, and they want to, they want to do this right now. Sometimes they're, the middle of the pack and say, well, let's wait and see what happens mm -hmm. at that state. You know, but I think this is a great example of where this is your, this might not be the white paper, you know, that some people ex expect, but this is at least happening. And you can go and ask people in Seattle, how is it going? Give me some uh, data points. And then you could start building an argument on why this, this and that one particular county should be replicated throughout the state, throughout the country or Right. Well, I think I, I also think nowadays, you know, it's not like it was when I grew up where the drugs were the hard drugs. It was the heroin, the cocaine, the marijuana. Now you're getting into the opioids that are sometimes prescribed. I mean, someone is not going somewhere, you know, doing something illegally to garner the drugs. And again, this is a generalization. They're just misusing and then probably, you know, I don't know, individual stories, but somehow misusing the prescription drug or getting addicted to it. And then when they don't get it anymore. And so this affects more people um, in, uh, in a wider circle than I think some of the quote unquote traditional drug abuse what we're all used to, at least people my age, shut up, Franklin, <laughs> um, are used to hearing, you know, like, I, I, you know, it was so easy growing up to get turned off and seeing all of the, the awful, you know, public service announcements of, you know, people. The egg frying in the pan. Well, no, well, I'm talking That's about. That's my generation. But, yes, but, shoot, but, actually, but, but actually, like, the shooting of the drugs and doing all that. And I'm not saying that still doesn't happen. I'm sure it does. But it's just easier to, you know, abuse a prescription drugs, whether or not they needed to be on those opioids or not. Or, I'm telling you, um, it's hard to get prescription drugs. I have a. Well, I, uh -oh. I say this tongue-in-cheek. As yeah. your attorney, you may want to stop talking. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> was it? So I have this, uh, not to get into medical details or anything, but I have zero refills on any of my prescriptions. And I'm going, I'm going to France, you know, for a month, and I'm nine pills short uh, to make it through by the time I get back. And I'm telling you to get a refill on nine pills to have the, the um, them, the doctor's office talk to the um, pharmacy and to go back and forth. I'm telling you, it's been almost a week. And I'm like, listen, guys, do I have to put you all in the same room in order to get this? But I understand exactly what you're saying, Rich. When you have a doctor that says, oh, here's your here's your prescription for 99, you know, 99, name your opioid of choice, and you get, you know, 10 refills on this. I mean, those that's crazy. You know, I'd rather, I I can't say enjoy struggling to get nine pills to, for whatever, but I'm glad they're making it hard in order to get those nine pills. Mm-hmm just for the fact that you're what you were talking about. Well, and if you think about it too, like look at all these <laughs> kids and the diagnosis that they have and the pills that they're oh, yeah. given for stress and anxiety. Yeah. I can't even tell you how many delivery cases we had out of our St. Charles schools where it's, you know, one kid's medication, he gave it to another kid and sold it to them. And that's that's a delivery, that's a felony. Yeah. And even though that kid's going to juvenile court, that's not an easy process. They have to go, their parents have to go. Um, they're told to do counseling, sometimes homework, sometimes community service. There's still fines and costs for all of that. Oh, yeah. And if it's that easy in high school, like I, I can't even imagine, like the idea of cocaine and heroin and PCP when I was younger was what you saw on television right. and was yeah. mythical. The first time I saw drugs, embarrassingly enough, was really when I was a prosecutor and I had this giant bag of marijuana and I'm like, oh man, this is pungent. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I was a little nerdy in high school and college. <laughs> I remember the D.A.R.E. programs mm-hmm. that uh, the police officer came out. What was I in the fourth grade, something like that, fourth, mm-hmm. fifth grade? And you had no clue. I mean, I couldn't tell you what some drugs look like anymore. Right. But they had it all in the little. In the briefcase. In the briefcase. And yeah. they popped it out. And they said, this is what heroin looks like. And I'm like. I don't I couldn't. If you laid it out in front of me right now, I couldn't tell you what it looked like. No, Officer Gary Kamek of the Glendale Heights Police Department, he scared the crap out of me <laughs> to the point that I didn't even drink alcohol until I was 23. Thank you to my mother-in-law for giving me cheap Boone's Farm, and then it's been downhill. Good for then. you. <laughs> but that was effective to me then. It's not effective now. I mean, we really have to go in and do better in terms of education, and prosecutors need to go in and need to say, these are the cases that I have. I have prosecuted people from your school yeah. for these because that's what I think will actually resonate with them is that they can be arrested, they can go to court, and they can go over to IYC that's on Route 38. And it's it's got to be, like you said, a community thing because one school can't crack down because they'll just get it from their friends in the next school. You know, or one mm-hmm. community can't crack down because they'll just go to the next, the next state or the next county or the next wherever. You know, it has to be this mentality, this culture shift that sits there and we have to subscribe to it. I mean, when you look at our parents and our parents' parents' generations and such, how things have changed, you know, for the good and the bad. I saw yesterday two people, a mom and a son, sitting at the same table. He had his cell phone out, she had her cell phone out, and they weren't even talking or looking at each other. How are you supposed to teach that kid, you know, that, hey, you can't give your pills over to somebody else? Right. You know, you, you shouldn't do this, you know. I mean, they're not going to have it on an Angry Birds movie. <laughs> you know, it's got to be, it's, 
it's got to be somewhere, and it can't be the court system that does it. No, and it shouldn't be. It should be families. It should be our community. It should be volunteer programs. My kids have volunteered for more stuff than I ever did when I was younger, but when I was younger, I had my mom who was constantly telling us what was the right thing to do. And, I mean, my kids obviously have me constantly telling them stuff, which they will repeat all the time. But Well, I hope we have more Gary or Sergeant Garys and uh, your yes. moms out there. Yes, he <laughs> was I, amazing. I Actually, he was a court security officer when I was in King County, so we were able to reunite. And I'm like, you're the reason. <laughs> I also, real quick, I know we're getting close to the end here. I, I like the idea that um, the uh, a state's attorney, a prosecutor, is and it seems to be the trend um with law enforcement at least here in king county with the king county sheriff and his program trying to be proactive in trying to the ultimate goal is to keep the community safe keeping the community members safe and to try to find a way for those who have not found the way instead of always the mantra and i've said this earlier in this program you know uh, I'm going to be hard on crime. You know, you you do the crime, you're doing the jail or whatever that phrase used to be. Time. Um, <laughs> you're going to do the time right. And um, and because that, it's such an easy thing to say, people are used to hearing it. At least a certain generation of folks in our community are used to hearing that. And it's, you know, it's, it's a whole new world and the, it, you know, with many no- different nuances. And we have to be open to adaptment um to, to adapt new ways to do it and i'm so glad that you shared this article with us and hopefully this program and um you know maybe we'll see a change here in king county here's hoping i am hoping that we can look at each individual person and bring change because that's what we need we need to prosecute criminals We need to make sure that we're tough on violent crimes, but we also need to understand the background that they all came from and do what's right. That's true. Excellent. Well, Jamie, I appreciate you being here and giving us this insight in terms of what you do and what you stand for and what you're you're looking to see change uh, as well. And uh, I thank you all for listening. Again, you're welcome to go to facebook.com forward slash, let me get this right, F-S- RCAP. Feel free to leave us a message, tell us what's up, and then uh, we hope to uh, have you back. Thank you so much. Great, thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you both.